on. Uh, welcome to this dreary Wednesday afternoon. Uh, my name is Sally Ann Houghton and I am part of the team at Epic Games London Innovation Lab and I'm here today to do a presentation on in-camera VFX and virtual production. Um, before I do, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on me, just to give you some context of, um, of who I am and where I come from. Um, I started my days at Grey Worldwide as a production assistant um, and then became a global TV producer. Then when I thought I knew everything there was to know about TV advertising, I naively set up a production company, The Arrogance of Youth. I never have worked so hard in my life, but we did okay. And I learned a lot on the job and developed an understanding of how to shoot a film. I then went for global domination and went out to New York to the mill to set up a beauty and luxury content division. And then at that point, the, all the fashion industry were interested in was the shiny new object that was innovation and tech, which at the time was predominantly AR and VR, which was great because I was a secret nerd. And it really gave me an understanding of content in a three-dimensional world. Then after eight years in NYC, I returned to the homeland and I had the absolute fortune to be invited to join the Epic Games team and most importantly, help launch the London Innovation Lab. Oh, I now have to get this to move. There you go. So what do we do at the lab? We are Epic's first ever 100% community facing office. So therefore, so are me and the team. And our mission is to bring the Unreal Engine to the creative content industry to help everyone move forward with their real time endeavors. And we do this in lots of different ways. We inspire people with knowledge and hands-on real-time experiences at the lab or virtually. We support, whether it be creative support or technical support with our team of technical artists. And we help people connect with other industry members. We encourage an open sharing community. So the purpose of today's talk is to give you a better understanding of virtual production and in-camera VFX. Now, I think that there's um, within the Q&A tab, you can post questions. And at the end, I will try and move through as many as I can. Um, we do have a panel discussion tomorrow. So any that I don't get to, we'll, we'll definitely cover then. And don't worry if there's a lot of information in this presentation, so please, don't worry if um, you haven't fully formed a question. We'll, we'll cover it tomorrow. So let's begin. So in the next half an hour, I will take you through a super short history of Epic Games and the Unreal Engine, a brief word about Fortnite, can't not, and then a deeper dive into virtual production, real-time visual effects, and then we will close on a case study on the Mandalorian. So in 1991, Tim Sweeney programmed his first video game called ZZT in the basement of his mother and father's house. And when Tim shipped the game, he did this with shareware so it could be modified. With such humble beginnings, Tim wanted to give the impression that his operation was a, a bit bigger than it was. And so he named the company Epic Mega Games. In due course, this was modestly simplified to Epic Games. Tim always had a vision that in the near future, the interactivity of gaming, the accessibility of the internet, and the fidelity of high-end film and TV were gonna to come together to create a new type of virtual connected experience, what is sometimes referred to as the metaverse. Now, don't worry, this isn't, isn't a science fiction talk. In fact, 
the metaverse concept is already happening to some extent, and we'll get back to it. So Tim was smart, even back then as a young man. He soon realized that the program that he'd written and built ZZT on could potentially be used by games developers to create their own games. So 21 years ago, this led to the creation of the Unreal Engine. This was the first time that Epic were able to take the graphics program that was the foundation of a game and license it to other AAA developers to make their own games at a couple of million dollars a pop. And just in case you're not a gamer, which I'm not, uh, AAA games are the most sophisticated, visually stunning games with complex worlds. Games like the Unreal Tournament, games of uh, Gears of War and Infinity Blade were all huge hits for Epic that helped to battle test the engine. Billions of dollars in revenue have been made by developers using Unreal Engine to produce their own titles. And it's common for many of the top 10 games to be built using UE4. So we can't talk about games without mentioning Fortnite, arguably one of the most successful games on the planet. There are now around 350 million Fortnite players. It's become a cultural phenomenon going well beyond the traditional video game audience. Its scale is massive, it has seasonal frequent updates, and it is reactive to its audience. It has up to 11 million concurrent players at any one time. It was also the first game to truly break the barriers between the gaming platforms. You can play the game with your friends, but on any platform, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, PC. So how does this relate to you guys? Well, Fortnite is arguably an early example of the metaverse. It is not just a game. As well as the Battle Royale game itself, Fortnite is a place to go and hang out with your friends. It's a three-dimensional play space where you can fire your friend out of a cannon, goof around in a shopping trolley, watch a concert, or buy some new threads. It's a place where cinematic events and gaming interactivity come together. Which brings me to this. This is the Travis Scott concept from last month, well, actually a few months ago. There was over 27.7 million unique players in-game that participated. And that's not counting the people who watched on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, as I did. Also, DJ Marshmello did a set in Fortnite back in February, which at the time was the largest live music event ever with an audience of 10.7 million. Each Fortnite season pivots on a dramatic live in-game event. Fortnite is also a virtual world where other real world IP can exist. There are limited time versions of the game based on characters from the film and TV world. Avengers, John Wick, Stranger Things. You can represent your favorite sports team by wearing their strip. You can even get the latest Nike trainers virtually before they're released in the real world. Star Wars launched there in December and there are many, many more IP crossovers to come. And it's not just games that use game engine technology. The engine has a broad adoption across many industries. Architecture is, is it's used hugely for the visualization of buildings, engineering, construction, training, automotive. One important thing to mention at this point is the game engine, Unreal Engine, is free to download. Around about seven years ago, Tim Sweeney, he's moved out the basement, he's now our CEO, decided to change our business model and give the Unreal Engine away so many more people could explore the possibilities with it. But let's get back to film and TV and the world of visual effects. 
Since 2014, Kim Labreri and his special projects team have led the cinematic development of the engine. Kim and many of his team are from the VFX world and are constantly striving to bring the engine up to the top level of film VFX. Prior to Epic, Kim was the VFX supervisor for the Matrix trilogy and has two technical Oscars for his work um, innovating VFX technology. Special partnerships projects each year have led to enormous strides in what the engine is capable of. Major advances have been made such as the incorporation of ray tracing, allowing the engine to truly accurately mimic real world physics. And it's not just Kim and his team that pushed the envelope. Unreal's user base has also steadily grown with over 10 million licensees. We're all helping to create amazing new advances using the engine. You're watching the latest Unreal Engine demo, the UE5 that launches next year. This shows the incredible performance the game engine achieved, which is So why use Unreal Engine in film, television, and content creation? To understand how Unreal is used in the film industry, as you know, it's important to understand that ever since the beginning of visual effects, filmmakers have been longing to see their visual effects earlier in the process of production. Here you can see some of our grandmasters, top directors using the best they can to pre preview what they will later see in when their post is done. Peter Jackson on Lord of the Rings, Jim Cameron on Avatar, Steven Spielberg on Tintin, Alfonso Cuaron on Gravity. They're all pioneers on the road towards in-camera VFX. Then in March 2014, Facebook acquired Oculus. And soon after, filmmakers discovered VR and the Unreal Engine. Here, I'd like to talk about Kian Ye Arena, a great example of what happened at the time. In 2006, Alejandro Inaruti made a movie called Babel. It is the gut-wrenching story of a Mexican nanny trying to get back to a better life in the United States with the two children she is responsible for and getting lost in the Arizona desert. Alejandro was not satisfied with showing this story to an audience sitting comfortably in a movie theater. He wanted the audience to be immersed in the story. So we hired a group of people who have gone through this experience themselves, working with Iron and Exam, we scanned them, motion captured them, and Alejandro Inaruti received a Special Achievements Oscar in 2018 for Kianya Arena. The last time one of these awards were given out was 1996 for Pixar's pioneering work in computer graphics for the original Toy Story. Other high profile filmmakers did VR experiences. Robert Zemechi for The Walk VR, John Favreau with Gnomes and Goblins, and many blockbusters had companion pieces in VR. With this introduction to Unreal Engine and VR, filmmakers started thinking about how they could use Unreal in production. And then filmmakers started realizing that they could use it in production. And this is a great example of how they do. 
I came on John Wick as a concept illustrator. I was providing 2D concept art to design the look and the feel of the film. And when we read about a three-story building entirely made of glass, a number of problems come to mind. You have the reflections, you have the actual structural design of something like this, then you have the look to figure out lighting, etc. So I basically started with concept art using CAD designs from a set designer. I was able to bring them into Unreal Engine so that we could explore it in VR. It became this tool that allowed us to visualize what this set looked like and also helped us to create the lighting and the design of this thing months and months before any decisions had to be made on the physical set. It was such an abstract set that having this kind of spatial relationship and visualizing it from that point of view had tons of value. This set became a hub in the art department. The actors, the directors, the cinematographers went into the VR model so that they could basically visualize everything that was gonna be built and seen in the film. I can't imagine them doing this set without VR. This set went through a number of different budgetary designs. I was able to create different set designs within VR, and now suddenly they can see what they can live with and what they can't live with at the hit of a button, and that allowed us to get the set approved sooner than we normally would. When you first walk onto the physical set, it's a surreal experience. It was amazingly accurate. VR has this kind of ability to cross the 2D concept art threshold and set design threshold and give you a real feeling of what it's gonna be like to be there, which is just an incredible disruption in this industry. I also believe that the future is really bright for real time. Every single VFX artist that I know is asking about Unreal Engine. And the reason why is because there's the satisfaction of not hitting that render button, but just seeing it in real time. It's like heaven for a VFX artist. Today, there are many use cases for Unreal Engine in production, whether it's virtual sets or VR scouting, previs, in-camera visual effects, performance capture, final render. And there are countless films and TV projects that have been using or have used UE4 since 2016, all kinds of ways to help benefit the production. In the last few years, Epic Games has been investing in the development of many new features in Unreal Engine for a new way of making movies called in-camera visual effects. Here is a video that summarizes what they are. Okay, let's cut and reset. No matter what the project is, the creatives always want to see the closest representation to the final product as early on in the creative process. When I first walked on the set and the wall was up and we started to look through the camera, it, it really started to feel like I was just filming in this actual location. We can track a camera's position in space in real time and render its perspective so that we can compellingly convince a camera that something else is happening in front of it that really isn't there. 
The thing to keep in mind is that the 3D world that you see on the wall is also a 3D scene that you can manipulate in Unreal Engine. So this gives the filmmakers full flexibility to make any change they want to the scene live. So it's really exciting to see that we can, you know, use the real-time lighting to not only change the environment virtually, but also have it affect the onset lighting as well. This opens up kind of like a virtual playground to shoot in. With a VR Scout, you have your department heads collaboratively going into the world together. They're able to make decisions that inform the creative process down the road. It gets them more grounded into the scene that they're shooting, into the story they're trying to tell. Because you can interactively change the world, it, it brings all of those departments together because each one of them has a role in how this world is portrayed at some point along in the production. The director and the DP, they're back, and they're now able to work directly with the teams in real time. It's a really exciting creative process to be part of. So let's go into it into a little bit more detail. For this demonstration, we set up a curved, large curved wall in the back with a flat wall on each side, and an additional set of panels for the ceiling. Different LED manufacturers make different panels, but mostly they are square and can be connected together either flat or at an angle. One controller connects four panels and four are around about half a meter square. This is a single sub panel removed and you can see that it is 88 by 88 pixels. Inside Unreal, we have reference for the walls. For this production, we have two side walls that are 20 by 14 panels and a front curved wall that is 36 by 14 and a ceiling that is 24 by 20. Altogether, total pixels is 1,232 vertically and 6,688 pixels horizontally between the sides and the front wall. To effectively render this resolution, we use a feature called N-Display, which collects renders from multiple machines. One point to note, the LED wall is not just a display. It, 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 is, it can be used as a lighting instrument. It is providing reflections and lighting for the actor and is captured directly by the camera to extend the environment. Talking about the camera, we have the ability to increase the resolution of the camera view frostrum to ensure maximum resolution for what the camera sees, whilst maintaining a sufficient but lower resolution on the rest of the wall to maintain lighting and reflection capabilities, an equivalent of foveated rendering used in VR. Here is the machine setup for this production. Whilst not all these machines are required all of the time, each has a specific role. At the top, we have a capture machine that provides tracking information on the exact location, camera location. Using the live link feature, we multicast the tracking information to all the other machines, including the set of render computers. And to ensure that the rendering is synchronized, we use Genlog with the master clock, which also provides time codes to the camera. And the Unreal systems are tied together in a multi-user session. It allows collaboration between multiple artists in different capacities in and around the virtual world. Notice you have two separate VR scouting workstations. When you enter this newer version of VR scouting, it is not a one person at a time experience as it has been before, but now a multi-user scenario where multiple filmmakers can be in the virtual world together 
in a workflow that's closer to a real scouting session in the real world. We have various tools that let different departments navigate and interact with the scene. Notice that the VR users are making changes to the same scene that's being shown on the wall. So the DP can see how these changes look in camera in real time and even see avatar representations of the VR users scouting the virtual world and changing things. The 3D assets for this demo came from Quixel Megascans, which are available for all UE4 users. So you can see here the Icelandic weathered lava spire that was being moved in VR. In addition to these features, you can use a web app on iPad to make changes on stage. Here is the UI that lets you select different sky elements and to position them into the scene. All programmable lighting is being driven by web-based REST-based API that just runs on a web browser on an iPad. The same UI lets you position a light shape on the wall outside the frostrum because the LED wall is also a lighting instrument. Here's the scene without, and here is the shape being used to light the actor. Without, with. As you see here, the set is dressed pretty well to match the color of the wall, but over on the left side, the seam is somewhat more visible. An additional edit you can make to the scene is color correction on the content of the wall. Here you see an operator adjusting the placement of the color correction region to be in the right location. And here we see the effect of the co correction to ease the set to wall transition. We can optionally place a green screen in the Fostrum area. This results in very similar lighting and reflections on the actor and set, but allows the background to be changed later. For framing and composition, we can still do a live green screen extraction and comp on the comp sheet. In an ideal world, the LED panels would be HDR devices and should behave like real light. They're not quite there yet, but manufacturers are listening and we expect to see better panels and control software for upcoming productions. And this slide shows that we have seven frames of latency between the master clock and the render. Now let's talk about The Mandalorian. The first season of The Mandalorian has been very successful in many different ways, thanks to John Favreau and the great team of creative people that he assembled around him. And Epic Games were delighted to be part of that team. Through some onset stills, let's have a look at what an in-camera visual effects stage looks like in real life. The Mandalorian smart stage is a video volume 21 feet tall and 75 feet in diameter. In this view from the first episode, you see the motion capture cameras at the junction between the video wall and the video ceiling. Here we see co-producer Greg Frazier working on the opening shot for episode one with Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian. Note again, the motion capture cameras at the junction between the ceiling and the wall and the shot through the camera. Another view of the opening shot as captured in camera. In these behind the scenes, we see, uh, we, you can see the video wall, um, sorry. Sometimes the junction of the camera is obvious and sometimes it's seamless. Here are multiple shots showcasing different times of day all possible at the flick of a switch. 
Here's a really interesting shot that shows the power of set design working seamlessly with the wall universe. Over the, uh, only the bottom part of the ship was built, the shiny part. The top part of the ship is displayed on the video ceiling and part of the engine is on the back wall. And when the camera moves, Unreal Engine keeps all the pieces together for a seamless effect. And this is the final shot. Here's a cockpit shot, a classic use of projection or video wall technology. In this scenario, now you can move the camera without the backdrop looking like a flat projected screen. A more complex setup for the lava scene for the last episode. Note the actor representing the IG-11 droid. He will be replaced in post. And here, while the camera is focusing on Bill Burr, note the junction between the wall and the floor in the wide shot. In this muddy shot, baby Yoda is in a precarious position. It's hard to see where the real set ends and the wall begins. And finally, here's an image showing people working on the lighting around our hero and the star of the show, Baby Yoda. The wall in the background is in standby, maintaining the perfect time of day for as long as necessary. Finally, let's hear it from John Favreau himself. Part of what's been fun about collaborating on The Mandalorian with Lucasfilm and Disney is that we have been able to see through a few technical innovations and a few firsts that I think are going to have a lot of impact on the way uh, television and movies are made moving forward. In partnership with ILM and Epic, we have put together a system whereby which we can have game engine, real-time render, and video wall technology coming together to create a backdrop for the big, beautiful world of Star Wars. The volume is 21 feet tall, it's 75 feet in diameter, run by seven machines, pumping the visuals onto the screen that's, that's being created in pre-production and can be on the screen within 24 hours of, of being finaled. It's incredibly impressive when you first walk out there because it completely surrounds your peripheral vision. And you really quickly forget that you're indoors and you're not out on some planet's surface. It feels like a real three-dimensional environment surrounding you because it is a three-dimensional environment. You can allow your key creatives to all make decisions together so that the shots are captured entirely in camera, which allows for a better performance. And what was so exciting about this is by bringing those people together, things started to click and we started to realize, well, let's not just do green screen and interactive light. If we're gonna design the whole set and game engine ahead of time, maybe we could have some in-camera effects. Everything in the volume is designed to both light the actors and to be a background that we can directly photograph. So you end up with real-time final pixels in camera. If you look at visual effects, heavy films, you've got a film set and then it's gonna to go to post and it's gonna get the world put in. Here we're considering all of that at the same time and how do we create a background and foreground that live together on the volume harmoniously. When we started to play with the idea of using Unreal Engine for virtual production, that's one of the things that uh, Richard and John started to embrace is that you've got this very dynamic world where you can have randomization of things and find the happy accident that gives you the perfect shot. Being able to see the actors point at things and see what they're looking at was pretty transformative. It gave everybody context. 
with the added benefit that if you want to move a mountain from there to there, you can do it instantly. You could switch between the Iceland location to the desert location, all within the same day of shooting. The ability to shoot a 10-hour dawn is extraordinary. To shoot any sequence where you say, oh, this world's not quite right, let's just move it a little bit. An extraordinary number of benefits and advantages for shooting in that environment. It's mind-blowing what that tool is. What you see is really what you get. And that's something that really means a lot to filmmakers, especially those who have worked with a more traditional approach in the past. Shots of character in a vehicle traveling through a complex environment. It's always very difficult to do believably on stage. LED screens are a wonderful solution to that problem because what you're doing is you're taking this technique of image-based lighting that we've been using in computer graphics for years and use it to light a subject. And then we would do shoots where we would texture map real lit surfaces onto our game engine geo and so the camera could move anywhere. We would do interiors, like Werner Herzog's office. And then you started doing things like building sets into it, having half a spaceship with reflective surfaces. And so it became exciting because by the end of the season, it was like, let's start designing sets around what this could do well. Just like the good old days. With Star Wars, we're building on a rich legacy of innovation and getting to partner with Jon Favreau to make his ambitious vision a reality, it's really a game changer for filmmaking. And so, as stated in the 100th year celebratory edition of the American Cinematographer's Magazine and in The Mandalorian, this is the way. Hopefully this has begun to lift the veil on virtual production and in-camera VFX. If you want to continue to learn more, Epic has lots of free and accessible resources available online in one format or another. Many specifically designed for professionals from the film and TV industry. So check them out at unrealengine.com forward slash online learning. And in the meantime, please visit our uevirtualproduction.com website where you can find more classes and resources such as the virtual production field guide and new content is added constantly. And you'll also, if your video stream wasn't up to scratch, you'll also find the content that was in this presentation. And on uevirtualproduction.com, there's loads more case studies and spotlight articles. So thank you very, very much for your time and uh, following me through this presentation. I'm going to stop sharing my screen and have a look at questions to see. Okay. Mm -mm -mm. Let's have a look. Wow. Gosh, this is testing me. I'm, I have to read and answer questions live. Where do the plates come from? Where do the plates come from? Do you shoot these for each project or is there a library? I think, um, so I think by plates, uh, I think the question is asking about the content on the screens. 
So the content on the streams is, is kind of generated in a 3D environment. And um, there are um, there are environments available to download and then build on top of. Uh, but at the moment, a lot of people will build their environments from scratch. In the engine, we have uh, a library that can be accessed. So it gives people a lot of environments to, to begin to use, to shoot. But there's also a lot of constant creation of those environments. And, and then obviously films and projects will design specific environments for their narrative. Do you think this, this technology could eventually be used to replace some humans? Um, e.g. extras in order to have smaller crews on set, especially now that smaller crews are essential. Yes, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, we've been using um, crowd simulations in VFX for years and years, and this is just taking it to the next level where you can, in your screen environment, you could have a stadium, and in that stadium, you could have it filled with virtual people. Um, and it will be as controllable as, um, well, probably more controllable than a stadium full of extras. So yeah, absolutely. And, and the, we're developing digital humans at such a rate now that I think that we will very soon be at a point where they are indistinguishable. We're not there yet because the uncanny valley is a, very, is a very easy place to fall into, but it, uh, digital humans are getting better and better, and I think they'll be perfect for background environments. Um, Sally, I'm very interested. How um, how do you see the real-time news engine technology helping in factual documentary making? Um, I think that what's wonderful about LED screens and in-camera VFX is that you can create universes. So we actually have, we've been working with a, a couple of uh, kind of helping on a couple of documentaries where the environment and the story that they're telling is not is not of um, this world. So let's say maybe it's an internal world or maybe it is a hidden macro world or micro world. Um, and the screens and in-camera VFX is, is perfect for that, to allow people to, to visualize universes and places and environments that you can't necessarily get to. Um, and, and, you know, allow them to be fully immersive. Is this, is this technology any really accessible high budget? Oh, okay. And this is an app, this is a really good question and it's really, really fair in that a lot of people ask about how do I budget this? Um, is it, uh, is it free? You know, is it available? What, you know, where, where's my local stage? So at the moment, and we are actually going to talk about this more in our panel tomorrow, um, because the panelists all come from an environment where they have been using this technology. So they're going to take us through their personal experiences, the good, the bad and the ugly. But at the moment, it is not necessarily cheaper to use in-camera VFX because we are still building our studios. Um, lots of people are bringing in the technology and trying to make it a commercial offering, but it is cutting edge technology. It is new technology. We, there, there still needs to be a learning curve from the industry, but also from um, anyone and everyone that wants to incorporate it into their, their production process. So at the moment, the screens are still expensive and in some cases in some projects it is cost prohibitive but they are becoming more and more available there are more and more stages incorporating them or 
being created as standalone in-camera VFX. And there's more and more companies that are just providing hardware. So you could literally just set up your own LED screens in a stage of your choice for that production. So it's becoming more and more available. Um, and as a result, it will become cheaper over time. But at the moment, I would say it's not, it's not a cheaper option. It's not a cheap option at the moment, unless you're an indie filmmaker, which we have tomorrow, and, and he'll tell you about some of his hacks. Um, and then you can you can look at using the technology in, in a little bit more of a hack environment, which is, is kind of fun. Um, this is incredible. What are the implications for post-production? So post-production, the way that it's, it's hard to do it on a, in a Zoom screen, but the way that post works within an in-camera VFX environment is that you, you would normally have this straight line of production, pre-production, post. And, and what this does is it folds the line on top of itself. And so uh, the creative process is, is a one big team all the way through, including all your key creatives, which would be your, you know, the, the what we would classically class as the post team. They would be right up front with the director, with your set designer, with the, your writer, um, and it would be a creative process from the beginning. And so the post gets moved into the pre-production. You would build your worlds, you would have a previs, and that would all stream directly into the production. And that's not to say there would be no post because there still is some post that's necessary and that's wanted and that's fine. But the, the universe building that you would often see in big VFX jobs can be done as part of the pre-production. And so it's much more of a creative environment and it's easier to make changes. And it's also um, a much, it, I think one of the guys was saying in the films that you can find these amazing, happy accidents because you've all been there playing around in a 3D environment. So by the time you get on set, it is much more about capturing the performance. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, yes. <laughs> can you contact me? Yes, you can. <laughs> I'll give you my email. Um, where do you see the application of post-production on smaller, less VFX heavy driven projects? Well, I think that it's all about accessibility. And I think that once stages become more accessible, then productions, big and small, rich or poor, can incorporate uh, in-camera VFX. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's really great for anything, you know, any movies that need different environments because you can't travel. So you can have a jungle, you can have a desert. It's really great for um, shoot environments where you just don't have the time and money to move to different locations. Uh, so I think that if you have got a small budget, you can, um, you know, within a, maybe a small stage, you can make it go far. I do think it can be applied across the budget realms. Um, especially once it comes more and more available. Um, how does the process affect the carbon footprint of production? I think, I don't have any data on this, but I think that the, my common sense, and, and you know, we've talked about this a lot, it would suggest that if crews aren't flying around the world for different locations, and if uh, we're, not um, and we don't have to have such big crews and if more and more of our pre-production can be done virtually if the process can be more collaborative in a digital environment rather than us all needing to be together all the time then I think that the carbon footprint of production could definitely be reduced by using in-camera VFX. Uh, 
what do you recommend for a student wanting to get into the industry? Um, I think it would depend on where you want to enter. It, I think there's lots and lots of resources on our website. So have a, have a look at them all. Like immerse yourself in the information, have a better understanding of the industry. And then I think there's a decision-making process of you know, where, where you want to enter. Do you see yourself as a developer? Are you more in the VFX side of things? Uh, do you want to be on set, but, but have a, a really good understanding of in-camera VFX? Um, and then I, I think the, the main thing at the moment is, is understand this tech and how it is changing the production environment because it is cutting edge. It is very new and it is very exciting, but um, stages are developing this tech and, um, and producing, putting up big LED screens every day. And so at the moment it is, um, it's kind of difficult to get into an LED stage, but I can safely say that in six months time, it won't be so difficult. And in 12 months time, it'll be positively easy to find an LED stage in the UK and Europe. How many production companies are setting up stages volumes in the UK at the moment? I don't have exact numbers. Um, there's, there are some in existence and um, there are more that are um, bringing in the, the tech and starting their R&D process. Um, I would say anything from five to 15. And I would say that in the next six months that will be anything from 15 to 30. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, I think I might have run out of questions. Gosh, this is, this is amazing. Oh, no, they're all down here. Okay, wait. No, I think, oh, we're in New York area. Can I find an LED stage? I have heard that a really, really good LED stage has recently opened in New York. New York. I can find out the details of that and get them to you. Um, if it wasn't COVID, I would have liked to have gone out and seen it. So you must go and see it for me and let me know what you think. Would you would you come and do a more in-depth lecture at Central State? Sure, sure, let me know. So I think um, if there's no other questions, I will say goodbye and thank you so much for your time. Um, do access the website, have a look at the resources. You can probably find me on LinkedIn if you want to make contact and, um, and if I can help with any further kind of questions there, then I'd be more than happy to.